find. So, Dr. Terrence Underwood, uh, thank you for joining us today, man. Uh, really, really appreciate it. Thank you for your time. For starters, how are you feeling? You know what? I, I feel good. I feel good. But I, I feel even better because, you know what, I get to be, a you know, a, a guest on the um, the Breakfast Club of Dubai. <laughs> <laughs> Is that who we are? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Except with some self-censorship and some and less controversy. <laughs> Definitely no, yeah, some less controversy. Yeah. <laughs> we, we've got Charlemagne Akawi in the building. <laughs> hey, so, don't don't beat me up too bad. Don't beat me up too bad. But you know, I, I feel pretty good. You know, um, again, happy to be on the show. Uh, excited to be on the show. Um, but you know, as far as what's going on outside, externally, the world, globally, if you, if you want to put it, I think it's a lot of unrest going on. And this is a great time to have these conversations because this is how we bring it to light, you know, with the awareness. If you don't have awareness, you can't call it to action. So uh, I feel good. I feel good about where we are uh, just as a community and, you know, just being able to work towards trying to create a more inclusive environment for everyone. Doctor, one of you tell us how, how did this all come together? How you guys meet? So I was in Dubai facilitating a workshop. Right. That's the workshop that you gave on diversity and inclusion at Unilever, right? Yeah. And I'm pretty good if I if I pop my own collar there. <laughs> As we should. You tell them. You we tell think them. you're but, great. Uh, <laughs> I, I was uh, one one of the one of the the famous Tom brothers reached out to me after the workshop and and said he, he really uh, appreciate just the message and the way it came across and, and the way I was really championing the cause. And he said, you know what? I have to introduce you to my brother. And I said, um, okay, set it up. You know, I'm always open to meet new people. I didn't realize how famous uh, Mr. OT was going to be. <laughs> but uh, so, so, you know, I was a little bit starstruck when I, when I, I said, Oh my gosh, you know, uh, but anyway, so I'm tell you, tell you what's cool about this. So he, you know, O said, I'm going to just take you around and, and show you the real culture mm. of Dubai. And I was so, you know, people say things all the time, but you never know if it's, if, if they're really going to be, you know, really true to what they say. And I was highly impressed by the fact that the very next day he come pick me up in this, you know, this, this luxurious Mercedes, <laughs> you know, I was like, the oh, ride, this is about to be serious. Like, you know, <laughs> this is, you know, so anyway, he takes me around, uh, man, we went, uh, we went to this first, we went to, a. Uh, a co is it coffee or tea? I think it's Correct. coffee. So the, the night before the night we met, right. Mubarak, uh, Mubarak brings him out. He's like, oh, you got to come check out this thing called the Jazz Garden. And he has oh. to be like, oh, you should come meet this guy. So that that's when we met. And after the show, we went for Karak. I took him out for Karak. That okay, dope. You guys went to you guys went to Project Chaiwala. He has the cup. There we go. You got the Project Chaiwala oh, cup. That's so dope. Yes. That's so dope. Hey, I, I so keep dope. this on my desk right here because, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of. Uh, to me, it was a lot of good meaning that came from this. So I, I keep this on my desk. One, because just the concept of being able to have tea or coffee was was not something that, I, that I'm used to. I mean, that's not a thing that, you know, just in my circle that we do. But just the idea that, hey, we can go sit down, have some good conversation, 
over a cup of tea, cup of coffee. I, I, I brought that back here. So so now me and my friends, we get together, we sit around, we have, you know, we just sip and talk. And I was like, you know, that's that's one of the things I pulled back. Yo, OT, OT, you got to send him your karak recipe, man. You got to send him that karak recipe. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'll send you that. Good, uh, we got we got a great recipe out here. Yeah, we make our own. <laughs> and, we, and there's a vegan version to it in case. So ka- karaki, yeah. I, I don't know. Am I saying it right? Karaki? Karak, karak. Yeah. Karaki. Yes. 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 Yeah. Uh, so, so no, that was that was one of the things that I really enjoyed. I'm so glad you took that back with yeah. you because it's such a central piece to how we um, as a community come together. But it's also a central piece of how Arab communities come together to sit and have tea. So, for example, today I had to go speak to our landlord about something. We sat and we had tea. It was just a matter of practice. And it's also a matter of peace. Um, so it's so wonderful that that's, I'm so happy that that's what you took back instead of a little Burj Khalifa sculpture. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm so glad that that's what you took back with you. Nah. <laughs> like, I'm so glad. You know, one of the things that, that, that also I've, I've been applying is that OT, he didn't know me, right? It was just based on referral, but and I wasn't familiar with the culture, but the simple fact that he said, let me let me immerse you in the culture. Right. So whatever idea I had got wiped away and I was able to create my own um, awareness and understanding of the culture. Right. As opposed to using somebody else's or the media's example. And so that's something that like here in the States that that we should adopt. Right. It's like cross-cultural conversation, reach out to somebody that's in a different culture and just say, hey, let me let me give you some insight into what the, the culture is from my purview. And I think that's how we can start to change people's mind. Don't just rely on the media. Don't rely on uh, hearsay. Actually talk to someone, get into the community, have those conversations, have that exchange of knowledge. And I think that's where we'll start to you know build uh, a better a better environment just in general. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I completely agree. I think the what the core of what we do as as Dukan in our practice, and I'm so happy that OT showed you that, but what is that we actually believe, you know, dramatic change or like massive change doesn't actually happen on massive scales. It happens in those micro moments when you can be an ambassador for all the good things. And um, I'm sure we, you know, and, and we can reshape what you, I think you might have thought of what an Arab would be when you walked in. I think that's a big part of the work that we do, but also you're very lucky that somehow Mubarak <laughs> you you landed right in the you landed in a really good spot. Strangely, I don't know yeah. how, how that happened. This isn't something Very you can good. Google. You know what I mean? You landed in the right spot. <laughs> yeah, we're not we're, our our tour our tourism uh, you know pipeline is not searchable. We're not on Airbnb <laughs> not online experience. We, we might register. Yeah. We, I think we should register at this point. <laughs> Mm, yeah. So, so, but one of the things I wanted to ask you is, you know, when you came, what impressions did you have before you came? Like, let's call, let's put it in the light. You know what I mean? What did you think of the Arab world before you arrived in Dubai? Oh, just gonna, just gonna put my bias on the spot. Doesn't matter. Let's call it, let's call it out so we can tackle it together. Right, right. Well, so... Okay, so if I'm if I'm just being transparent here, I I was just assume that everybody would be like dressed in the traditional clothing, chic uh, attire, you know, traditional. I thought you know I would see Lamborghinis driving everywhere and Ferraris, which I, I did. I did see some, yeah. Um, yeah. but I I just envisioned it to be like very rich, like mm. and um, 
Yeah, I, I, yeah. So very rich again, dressed in like traditional attire. Uh, I was expecting women to, you know, hair covered up. Um, yeah. yeah, I think so. That was like yeah. my initial just, just before you know, get not talking to anyone, never been to the Middle East. Um, I expected it to be like a huge, you know, like maybe Muslim population and, you know, Fair hear enough. people chanting and things like that. Yeah. So, uh, not n- very, and now that, I, since I, now that I've gone there and then I think about what I was, my assumptions, it's kind of like, I don't even feel comfortable saying it. it's like, I'm stuttering through it. Cause I'm like, ah, <laughs> I was way off. <laughs> no, yeah. but please do say, I think it's really yeah. important because I think we don't, we know how we're perceived, but also we forget because you've seen our world. It's so liberal and it's so, you know, we are actually genuinely carving out who we are as the young Arab digital generation. And yeah. when we think about it, I think about, I'm like, we should always ask because If we're if one day someone comes and says, well, I thought you guys would be kind of sitting around drinking tea and having, you know, English conversation, then I think we we will have done our job. We will have kind of said, yeah. all right, we've changed the way people think about us. But for now, Definitely. clearly, there's a lot of work to do. <laughs> so It's an interesting topic because today we were even talking to someone about what is uh, people's perception coming in, but not just from like mm-hmm. what do they expect to see, but like from a cultural aspect, like. What did you expect your first conversation with an Arab to be like? Did were you worried about having it, about saying the right thing, saying something wrong, what to say, how to start it? Do they know like what was that culture or also perception of how to interact and Yeah, no, that that's a that's a good question because I I guess I was A, I was expecting to have a communication barrier, just you know, with language. I didn't realize that, mm-hmm. you know, English is Yes. I mean, it's mm-hmm. almost like first language because it's so clear. Like, I mean, it no, you know, I don't, I, maybe this is a little bit biased and stand, but I was expecting like a heavy accent and maybe having difficulty understanding, you know, uh, the the English, you know, from the air perspective. But that wasn't the case, you know. And so, as soon as I uh, had my first conversation, I was already like, "Wow, okay, that everybody is speaking like I can, I can understand it." I was just not expecting yeah. to to understand as clear. And so that was the first thing that I had to really take a step back. Like, wow, I really I had to check my own bias there. Um, and, you know, the other thing is, you know, I think my very, I don't know if it was a cab driver, but the very first, you know, like conversation, the person was like, are you American? And, you know, it didn't really dawn on me. I consider myself African-American, but there it was just American. Mm. Like it was no distinction. Mm. Like, you know, so they, mm-hmm. they said it in a sense yeah. of privilege. Right. So it's like, oh, America, like, you know, it, it was something. Um, know, it was like a, a level of uh, positivity to, behind it. But my point of view is a little bit different, you yeah. know. And so I thought that was interesting that. Um, I was viewed as just an American and not African-American, you know, mm. whereas here, you know, mm. you, you're pretty much just black. I mean, we they only really give you African-Americans. So that's mm-hmm. really something I think as yeah. you know, people of color, we add that piece on. Uh, so it was very interesting from that vantage point to just be called just an American. And and so that's something else that I took back with me. So when I went back and as I was explaining mm. to people, I was like, nobody called mm. me African-American. I was just I was just American. And, and it's and it's just unfortunate that 
here in America, we 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 can't just be American, you know, born here. Mm. Um, I, you have to be mm. geographically associated, like again, African American, Asian American. Uh, you're not just American. So I, I thought that that was just one one thing that really stood out to me that I didn't think about before. Hey, question. I mean, so coming out here, I know I'm, you came because you were running a workshop where my brother was working. Can you tell us a little bit about that workshop? Because I feel like in some ways that's quite relevant to what's happening right now and a lot of the things that we've been talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, basically the workshop was an inclusive communication workshop. And, and for me, I feel like inclusive communication is something that's global, right? And so we yeah. touch on things like the difference between dialogue and debate uh, mm-hmm. because the goal of dialogue is to get to understanding. And so I like to give yes. the example, me and my wife was in Singapore and mm-hmm. I was facilitating the workshop. She was out enjoying the city as she normally does when we travel. And she said that as she was eating lunch, there were about eight people who were, peep, you know, she were peeping at her, right? And she said one representative of the group came over and asked her a couple of questions. One, are you from America? She said, yes. Two, uh, are you are you black? She said yes. And in the third question, he said, uh, "Do you do you prefer to be called the N word or Negro?" Mm. And so I'm, you know, I'm waiting for my wife's answer, and she's like, "Well, you know, I asked him if he was with the other seven people. He said yes." And mm. she said, "Can you go and get them come back to the table?" And so they yeah. sat around in like a little fireside chat and she went in to explain, you know, when, when I hear the N word or I'm called it, this is how I feel. You know, so she put that <laughs> that vulnerability on the table and yeah. and then she she did something I thought was interesting. She asked them, like, what made you what made you ask me that question or what what is your curiosity behind it? And, you know, the person said, well, hey, we, we don't have, you know, black people in our circle. And so we hear this on the media, we hear it in songs, but we just was unsure if we ever met, you know, a person like, what should we, you know, call you or greet you as? And so I I thought that was interesting because a lot of times we, yes, someone may say something like that and you get it, get offended like immediately. So you never really get to understanding. Whereas that person, the intent was wrong. They really are just inquiring and, and, and have a genuine, genuine of course. Uh, want to know, like, mm-hmm. what should I call you? Like, it's just, it could just be something that, you know, that they're interested in. So I think that, wow. so the whole point of it is again, to, to get to understanding another person's point of view. Another part of it is really addressing microaggressions and, and just really being in, being in your face. You know, here, one of the microaggressions would be you don't look gay. And so, you know, people, the person receiving that, you know, puts them on the defense because like, well, what does a gay person look like? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of the other things are you speak good English. And so even me being from the States, I had shared this in the yeah. workshop. I have gotten you speak good English. And so you would think, well, that doesn't make any sense. If, you, if you're from America, that's your first language. Yeah. Well, I'll give you a story. I was working for a telecom company plug, for plug, 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 plug. Know, about 17 years. And when I first became a trainer, you know, we would get plug. surveyed, uh, so to speak. And, and you had an opportunity to get 50 points. Right. So they're grading you from one to 50. And so normally I get I get 50 points because. Uh, you know, like Muhammad, I'm pretty good. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it, and so, but this this one time I had a new leader. He was from West Virginia, older white male. He gave me a 48. 
So 48 is still good, right? Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, I'm used to, I'm an overachiever. I'm used to getting 50. So mm-hmm. yeah. I said, well, yeah. I appreciate it, but what was the two points? You know, he said, well, you say the word that mm-hmm. instead of that mm-hmm. and there instead of there. And so I, I said, wow, I, no one ever pointed that out uh-huh. to me. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Right. And so then he says, this is what I want you to do. Uh, I, he was like, I used to be a, a, a DJ. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we would practice these things. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to practice saying this statement. I will go to the store. Now, I mean, I'm a 30-something-year-old man. And in my mind, I'm thinking, is he wanting me to do this now? Because it feels very uncomfortable. Uh, but yeah. because of the pause was so long, I, I, I realized he's waiting on me to say it. So I repeat it back. I was like, okay, yeah, I will go to the store. Mm -hmm. Wow, I think I got it already. Thank you. (laughs) And, you know, so he's still, you know, he's still looking at me like, "Mm, the reason why is because you're black and from the South. (laughs) And I was Mm. like, whoa, okay. Mm. Oh, he Mm. he just threw it on the table. He just kind of said it right to your face. All right. Yeah. Like, whoa, I never thought about that. Thank you for pointing (laughs) that out. Thank Thank you you for letting me know. know? And uh, and so we, it was very awkward. You know, we, he walked off, I walked off and I was so, I was so mad, but um, you know, it just made me realize that the level of bias and racism, yeah. you know, it still exists. It's like bar none. I mean, you, we, it's like, it's so much, it's so many people that at some point in time, you will get yeah. touched by it. So that was my touch point. Mm-hmm. That was my, opera, mm-hmm. you know, that was where I started to really say, you know what, I want to dive into to this work because some people at that moment mm. would have lost their temper and then it would have been his word against yours. You would have lost your job. And now that goes into a whole lot of other challenges that you're going to face just not having, you know, that income coming in. And so thankfully I was able to stay calm enough to say, you know, what, I understand where this is going. I know what he's trying mm-hmm. to do. I know that I'm good. I've always got a 50. He he intentionally pulled those two points off. He intentionally tried to really talk about my dialect because he thought that was going to be a point of contention where I just drop it and and just yes. go ham, so to speak. But no, I didn't, I didn't give it to him. But I realized there are a lot of people that he probably made that statement to that either quit or yes. felt so uncomfortable with the performance dropped yeah. and he was able to paper them out of the organization. So that's where I'm like, you know, I felt like, I'm going to do something about it. Like I'm going to stand up against this and do whatever I can possible to try to push back and not be silent. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's one of the things that, you know, we want to keep our jobs. We, um, we don't want to really rock the world, the world, the waves much Mm -hmm. because we have, um, you know, all these responsibilities that we have at home, but the, and the, and the colonizer, so to speak is, you know, banking on that. Right. So it's like, you're not going to say anything because yes. you need this. And so I think it takes courage to stand out and say, you know what, no matter the repercussions, I'm actually going to take a stance at this point. And I think that's what we're seeing happening everywhere. Yeah. People are like, you know what, I don't care about the repercussions at this point. It's time to really just push back and say enough is enough. Definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, people are and tired. Just, just for, just so, um, 
Dr. Terence, our audience are are generally um, very well educated and very engaged in you know what is happening in the world. But when it comes to um, the studies of identity politics and race, and I feel like in the Arab world, we're, we I just feel like we're always like three steps behind. Do you know what I mean? Like, I always feel like we are three steps behind. So just mm -hmm. for the sake of, you know, some listeners who may not know, can you define microaggression, please? Yeah. So microaggression is basically, uh, you know, most of the time daily insults against a marginalized group. I mean, it's just consistent insults. And those insults can be ranged from minimal to just straight um bigotry uh, for the most part. And so that yeah. that's that's what it is. And a lot of times the the microaggression is unconscious to the person that is actually delivering it. They don't know that it's, it, it has a negative impact on a person receiving it. So there is something that's so commonplace. Mm -hmm. When they rolled it out, mm -hmm. um, it didn't even, they didn't think it twice about it because it's just commonplace. And so what we have to do with microaggressions is interrupt those. So Sometimes it's not intentional. Sometimes, and a lot of times it is. So you get covert, uh, you know. But I, I believe that we have to do our part yeah. in stepping up and saying, "Hey, whoa, listen, no, that's that's a microaggression." Or wait a minute, whoa, that's that's inappropriate, right? And and that's how they start to understand the impact it's having on the person that is receiving these microaggressions. Right. And 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 my experience with it, um, I was notorious for getting angry first. And, and wanting to retaliate. Because I think one of the biggest learnings I've had with this uh, experience was that as soon as I'm combative or I, I you know, want to come at someone for even just bringing it up, they get defensive. Mm, mm -hmm. And I realized at that point, I've lost before we even started right. any kind of dialogue. So there, there's really no point. And I've spoken to a few people about it and their retort was that, well, you know what? There's enough information online. They should know better and they should be able to go out there and find it for themselves. I felt like that wasn't good enough because sometimes the information is there, but like it's not something they're actively seeking. Right. Um, because it doesn't unless they've interacted with it or had someone talk to them about it or at least made it welcoming enough mm -hmm. to want to introduce them to it. And provide them at least with some basic tools for them to want to later on go online, read further, or educate themselves further. But if I was combative, that person got defensive, there'll never be a world where they want to know more. They wouldn't care to understand us or want to engage. Right, right. Made a good point. It's like the fish in water um, syndrome. You know, if you, you don't, you only swimming in your water every day, you think that's all there is. And that's how a lot of us operate. You know, it's like even me, I live in a black neighborhood. I mean, my whole community is black. Where I go to church is black. The schools around here are black. Every Everything is black. I'm a fish in water, <laughs> right? And if I, yeah. if I had no other experience, then I wouldn't know, you know, if I didn't travel or, or, or what have you, I wouldn't know how other people would experience things. And so I would only know from my, my purview of my influence, which would be all people just like me. And I think that you know, that's where curiosity comes in. So if I wasn't familiar with Sudanese and, and I 
may hurt someone in the media. That's all I know because I don't have a direct connection. And so then if I were to make a comment, it would be really just to inquire. But from the other perspective, you hear these things so many times, you, you, it's all negative, right? And that's that's because we can't distinguish who really has that positive intent. And that's where we have to take a moment and say, you know what, let me just, let me put my feelings aside for a minute. And let's just see, this may be an educational moment where the next time they interact with this person, they will know how to interact, if that makes sense. One of the things that I recognize is that in most of the Arab world, we're so far behind when it comes to understanding, I don't know what the word is, but race, uh, you know, the understanding of race and how systematic it is in our world and in our society. I think that we are really far behind in discourse, in, you know, creating spaces of inclusivity, in our language towards each other to define each other and to define our friendships. I think we're really far behind. So one of the reasons I'm so glad that we have you on the show is I'm wondering, Dr. Underwood, are there practices that we could put in place so that we can begin the journey as the Arab world or whether it's in Dubai or in our communities of beginning the, the work of inclusivity or education? Is Are there practices that you can say at a first, like, you know, approach, where do we begin? Yeah, well, one, I would say self-education is the key. You, you have to be intrinsically motivated to want to understand what's happening in your area. So if you are on the majority, you have to understand what the minority is feeling uh, in, in those, or, or let me take the word minority out because I, I don't like that, uh, marginalized group. Right. So if you're in the majority, you want to find out what's happening with the marginalized group in your area. That's very important because in order to create change, the, the people who are part of the majority have to become allies and advocate for the marginalized group. They have to use their voice for the people whose voice is not being heard. And so that's a real that's a really big part of creating change. So self-education is key. If you're part of the marginalized group, you you still want to self self educate and try to determine, okay, what type of tools are available for me to manage my personal anger if something bothers me, if someone kind of lashes out at me or says something inappropriate. How do I manage the stress level that I may be feeling with carrying these different insults every every single day, um, and also. What type of groups are out there that are advocating for marginalized groups that I might be able to be a part of so that I can start to be a part of the change uh, as well? So I always say start with education, no matter which side of the fence you are on. Once you educate yourself, it, it, it begins with education. And then once you educate yourself, then you determine uh, what tools will work best for you to interrupt bias. And it could be as simple as if you see a bias happening, um, being able to interrupt it by stepping in and saying, well, hey, you know what, That's that was inappropriate, right? Or stepping in and actually making a decision to step in. That's the first thing. If you see something happening, are you going to be the person who speaks up or are you going to just let it happen? Because if we stay silent, we actually are complicit. Uh, in a sense, because that person who is receiving that that bias at the time, 
if they see you in the corner and you're just looking and not speaking up, now you're creating a, a, a divide between you and that person where you all could have came together and actually created that change in a moment. Absolutely. And I, I know in our previous conversation, you had mentioned a very effective tool, the Purple Heart, which, by the way, we've spoken about um, internally as a team and how wonderful this practice is. Can you let our listeners know what is the Purple Heart, the practice of the Purple Heart? Yes, yes. So uh, Purple Heart in itself is so when you think about Purple Heart, you, you think about courage. Right. And so we talk about Purple Heart Talks. It's like courage to have these courageous conversations. That's that's what it is uh, foundationally. And the way it works is if let's say, for example, we're on this this call now and let's say I say something that is offensive to one of you all. But we're in the conversation and it's and you may feel like it's not the right moment to say something, but you do want to address it. You can you could do two things if you're in the office just go to their desk and put a little purple heart on the desk. And that allows the person to, uh, that lets the person know that, ooh, you, you said something that needs to be, that I want to address. Uh, or you can send a purple heart emoji. And, you know, and that's even better because that's instant, especially now with the Zoom days. It's like, you you know, you're talking, it may not be something, you know, I may have said something I didn't even know I finished. And I see that little purple heart come up. Woo, okay, let me take a step back. Okay, I know I said something. Um, let me try to self-correct if I if I catch it. But if not, I know that there's going to be something that I need to address with someone later on. The good thing about this is when you receive a Purple Heart, you have 24 hours in order to make a response. Now, what that does, it doesn't put doesn't back me in a corner. I don't feel pressured. I have a little bit of time to say, let me think about this. And and I'll respond once I feel comfortable. But I have a timeline. So it's not like I'm going to wait a week or two weeks or anything like that. What it does for the person who actually gives the Purple Heart, now it's like, okay, I got it off my chest. Because if I don't have a way of, of actually talking about or expressing how I feel in the moment, then that's going to build up and build and build. So this gives me an opportunity to just get it off my chest. I'm a send this. They know we need to talk. Now I can go about my day without actually being in this loop of, I can't believe they said this, or I can't believe they did this to me, right? Because I know that this conversation is going to come up. And so that's basically the Purple Heart Talks in a nutshell. It's such a great concept. And like, we've been talking about it for a while after our, our first conversation, because we were looking to, into different ways of how we can activate it in our personal lives and in our professional lives as well with, you know, with each other, with our family, with the teams. Because I think a lot of times, or at least I like to believe that people generally are inherently good. And sometimes there's just really no malice intent, but rather than a comment or something that was said that hurt, how do you engage that conversation without, you know, causing a lot of tension? We realize like it's just the most loving way to engage in difficult conversations where you let somebody know, you know what, that hurt, that made me angry, that made me feel some type of negative way. And, you know, we got 24 hours to figure it out and come to the table and have a discussion. At least even by then, you know, sort of things have settled a little bit that that conversation is a lot easier. And, you know, both parties are coming to the table with a lot more faith and is a lot more welcoming and loving. And I think that's something that is, is such a great practice. And I hope that not only our listeners, but like we 
practice more of it in ourselves. I think we, it starts with us first. Right, right. And I, you know, it's funny. I, I use this, me and my wife d- do this all the time too. Uh, now the difference is, my wife sent me that purple heart. I don't have 24 hours. Instant. That's the only challenge working with it personally. You don't get them 24 hours. It's like, no, I sent you that heart. That means we I'm ready. So you, should, like, so you should be ready too. Let us talk. Passing each other in the kitchen, giving each other side eye type thing. Like, mm, I'll see you. <laughs> Oh, exactly. Exactly. Uh, that's amazing. Oh, man. Uh, so <laughs> I think these are great pointers for, for people to to activate and work with. Um, I also wanted to ask your advice overall for the for the BIPOC community in the space and also your advice for allyship and having these conversations, these difficult narratives, be it for one at home and also online, like what is it that we need to do to actually cause impact and not just be adding to the noise? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a good question. And the, the the easiest answer to that to that is to act, like to actually do and not just talk. And I think what some people may feel, uh, I'll take from an organization perspective first, They'll they'll hear their organization make a comment commercially to the meet to the media or just to their uh, supporter group, and they know that it doesn't reflect internally because they are not acting on change. They're just talking about it, and so that creates a lot of resentment there. Even personally, right um, from a peer to peer perspective, again. It's about being able to act. If you say you want to create change, what are you doing in order to do that? What type of behaviors are you exhibiting to ensure that you are a part of the change and not a part of the problem? So simple. Um, it, so I like Nike because it's like, just do it, right? Just get, just start to create change in whichever way that is is for you. And for some people, it's first acknowledging that there is a problem, right? And so people do that through different methods, whether that's a poem, um, whether it's just maybe, um, you know, doing a talk or a speaking event or, or just having informal conversations with your, your circle of influence just to get the conversation going. Because the first step is, you know, awareness. Second step is educating. And I think if we start there, that's when we start to create the change because we got to talk about it in order to find solutions to the problem. Sorry, I was just writing these down because like, just because I want to make sure that when when we when we put out this episode, I really want to make sure these are covered in the show notes and are covered across social media that it's available there for people to easily access it as well. So yeah, I'm just taking these notes. <laughs> and, you know, and, yep. and one thing, one thing I'm mm-hmm. going to add here. Uh, is and I heard this. I heard this the the other no, the other day. That there's a uh, rapper named KRS One. He said his wife says this all the time, and, and so it just really stuck with me. And he and he was basically saying that uh, people have to understand blame, right? So blame is the key, right? It's like you know people don't take ownership because they're blaming other people. Oh, it's not me, it's them. And so then he 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 made a statement that I thought was actually really cool. So he said. 
because oh, looking because looking at, at me, me ain't easy. easy. So blame, mm. right? So basically, blame yes. is because looking at me I ain't love easy. It. I said, that is powerful. Wow. I was like, yeah. That w- so when I heard that, I said, you know what? That's exactly the problem because people cannot look internally. Yeah, that's, that's that that powerful. is one I of the key it. problems there. And so when I heard that, I was like, that was that was yeah, really this, awesome. And we're we're gonna quote Kara's wife, <laughs> Kara's one's wife on this one. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, man, shout, shout out to the both of them. <laughs> this is awesome. Yeah, yeah, I thought that I thought that was cool. And, you know, it's, it's I, you know, I, I think that the idea, again, is, is really to just to act, right? Whatever tools you use, um, I mean, some people use a gun, right? And, and when I say gun, God, universe, and nature in order to, you know, impact change. And so whatever your tool is, that is something that, you know, you stand behind, you champion it, and then you spread the word. And as we all continue to be a part of the change by doing our part, we'll start to create these inclusive uh, environments where people feel like they belong. Because it's not really about just inclusion, right? It's about being a part, like feeling like you belong, like I can be my unique self. Um, I could be authentically me Absolutely. and be included. And so I think that's a key, key part uh, as well. Cause you know, a lot of times we just focus on diversity and it's like, great, we have the numbers, but people, the turnover is high. The turnover is high because you're just hiring me as a number, but I don't feel like I'm a part of the team. I'm still getting this unfair treatment. So why would I stay here? You know? Um, and I think that is uh, another area that, you know, people have to understand you. You need diversity because you need representation. But if they don't feel like they can be themselves, feel like they belong, they're part of the team, they're able to share their voice, then what's the point? Why even hire the diversity if you're not going to use those diverse right. voices? Uh, that's amazing. I think I agree. this is a, a wonderful place to end our session at. I mean, for real, Dr. Underwood, thank you so much for the insight and the wisdom that you've shared with us. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your time, your wisdom. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. No problem. No problem. And so, yeah, no, this is this has been great. You know, again, I, I view you all and I've been sharing this. I was like, you know what? I, I've been I, I was on the interview with the Breakfast Club of Dubai like this. I've been telling everybody champion. So hopefully you all get more viewers because um, I, I even went back and listened to some of your, your, your interviews and you all do such a fantastic job um, that um, I can only see you all just blowing up uh, even more than, than what you are. So I, I'm constantly advocating for you all because I, I believe in what you all are doing you. Uh, individually. And as you come together collectively, it's just a, it's just a powerhouse. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Thank you. I appreciate your kind words so much. Thank you. We're rooting for you, Dr. <laughs> Underwood. We're Thank rooting you. for you. Thank you. Salam. 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 Salam.